Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take a break. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. Today is an exciting day. I've been waiting for about six months for this day to arrive. And that's because today I'm going to speak with Professor Sitzkorn. And Professor Sitzkorn is one of the two people who completely turned my concussion recovery around. I will talk about that more later on in the show. But let me first introduce Professor Sitzkorn. She is a Dutch neuropsychologist and professor in clinical neuropsychology. I got to know her through one of her books. I'm just so excited to share her insights and wisdom with you today. So without further ado, let's just kick off this episode and get started right away. Welcome, Professor Sitzkorn, and thank you for sharing your time with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad. I, I had a special reason for contacting you because I wanted to uh, invite you to your to my podcast, but more importantly, I wanted to thank you for helping me turn my life around, essentially, because when I was recovering from my concussion and later on from post-concussion syndrome, I was hearing the same, I'd say, medical soundbite all the time. You need to rest. And there was nothing more that I could do but wait and see whether I would be one of those lucky ones who recovered or whether I would never fully recover. And this left me completely isolated and I'd say in a victimhood mentality. And in the end, I even uh, got depressed. And Mm -hmm. then I found your book. And in it, you explained how I could sculpt my brain myself. And you even wrote specifically about how improvement would be possible after brain injury. And it was like you wrote that book for me. I just needed your words back then uh, to, co- to kickstart my complete recovery years later. And I really want to take this chance to thank you with all my heart. Thank you so much. I'm very, very moved by hearing this because it's exactly the reason why I write these books. And uh, it's not often that you hear back the impact that you have on people's lives. Um, so yeah, you sent me that email, it was a very moving email. And I have to thank you because it's mails like this and interactions like this that also motivate me. So Mm. thank you very much. I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm so glad that we get to spend this time together because uh, you're very busy. You have written a lot of books. You're a professor. You're lecturing, I believe. Um, What is your story? Why do you write the books that you have written so far? Well, there is uh, different uh, aspects to that story. First of all, when I was a very uh, young girl, I always wanted to be a writer. That was one of my dreams. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to write about. I was writing poems at the moment, but I always wanted to be a writer. So writing in itself is motivating for me. But then when I grew up and I got educated more and I learned a lot about the brain and I started learning about the brain because I was 
interested in behavior. Hmm. Behavior is my main interest. It's not the brain that's my main interest, but it's behavior. And it's development that, that, that got my interest. So I, I learned more about the relationship between brain and behavior and brain and development. And then I, at one point, I came to understand that this was information that I had to uh, dissimulate in the world, that many people would be helped by this information. And as you said, at that time when I wrote um, The Mutable Brain, uh, this was around 2006. And at that time I worked also in the hospital. And many times I heard what you are telling me that you heard over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like the brain is static, it cannot develop very much once you reach adulthood. Um, where, where you just have to live with it, etc., etc. Yeah. And in my search, I, I can remember this very clearly. I uh, had a time in my life that I was saying, "Well, okay, I'm reading a lot in my in my field of work, but let me explore also a lot more in in information. So, what is groundbreaking new uh, scientific evidence? Yeah. And in that search. I came across neuroplasticity, mm. which um, actually was a bit strange because neuroplasticity in itself uh, and research into neuroplasticity existed already for more than a hundred years. But somehow it never, there was another dogma that was stronger and that was the dogma of the static brain. Yeah. So, yeah, so once I, I educated myself more in, in the topic of neuroplasticity, I was overwhelmed by it myself and, and decided more people uh, need to know this. And that was the start of the mutable brain. Mm, I understand. So it was really, it came from passion, I'd say. Absolutely. Absolutely. From the passion of knowledge, yeah. the passage of, of the passion of writing and the urge to share information with other people. Yeah. And also information that can really help people, not only people with injury, but also um, people who are aging, people just also young people, anyone who wants to keep their brain fit, I'd say. Indeed, basically, it's about getting the power or at least a part of the of, of the power of your own education, of your own transformation, of your own development. Uh, we all have been taught more or less in a way that makes us think that how you are is how you are yeah and maybe even uh many people say say sentences like well my father is that way so i am that way it's mm -hmm. what it is and when you know more about neuroplasticity then you understand that of course with limits neuroplasticity actually opens you up to the world makes it possible to develop make it possible to rehab rehabilitate makes it possible not only to develop yourself of other people, but in essence, um, because the inside world in your head, and I can explain a little bit more about it, mm -hmm. and the outside world develop in in this in in synchrony with each other. Yes. So it's also about developing the world. Hmm. You you see how inspiring you are. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're sharing all of this hope and you're also sharing it on a, in a tone that's really like energizing. You can understand how you helped me back when I was so depressed that I was like, wow, there's a whole world out here that I didn't know about and that's going to change everything for me and it did. 
And I really hope that your words right now will help a lot of people too, like you did. I hope so too. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you already said about, uh, you already shared about the static brain, the, the common dogma that was present, but I'm um, sad to say is still present. I hear it a lot from people who come uh, to Liviana who find me. Um, that they are being told that there's not much that they can do, or even that after having had brain injury for two years, no recovery, no further improvement is possible, which isn't true. Um, but how do, how do we see it? Is it like an old way of viewing the world in a new way? Or how do we frame this advice that a lot of us are given? Well, what we, we need to know is that a lot of the time in, in research in the past years has been dedicated also to the influence of genes, Yes. right? And uh, then people were thinking, the more we know about genes, the more we know about genetic makeup and how people develop and why people are as they are. Mm -hmm. And what they we had the whole nature and nurture debate, for example, and there were people on one side and there were people on the other side. And of course, it's the interaction between the two. Mm -hmm. And apparently, that was a new insight for a lot of people also <laughs> in science. And it still is that we now realize how influence, uh, influential it is to expose yourself to uh, certain things. Mm -hmm. If you're exposed uh, to this, your brain develops differently from when you're exposed to that. And it's the interaction that is that's very powerful. So of course, your genes determine also how you develop what you can do. But on the other hand, it's only in the interaction with the environment. And that is um, what what is possible because of neuroplasticity. Hmm. And, and, and that so how, how does that relate to this? Uh, is it is it then a worldview that needs to change in the medical field? Definitely, definitely, and already changed a lot in the past mm -hmm. years. Um, since I wrote Immutable Brain in two thousand six, uh, you see a lot of research has come free. Even yes. then, there was already a lot of research, but it's more and more. And you also see that this research now, uh, these findings find their way into into clinical um, uh, practice and they find a way in more in the general public also right mm -hmm. so uh, more and more we came to understand that it's very very important what you do what you think what you feel what you are exposed to because yes. every second that we live that changes our brain in structure and in function mm. yes and it can be for the positive and it can be for the negative Indeed, neuroplasticity in itself has no direction, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a mechanism. So if you expose yourself to compassion, to uh, good information, to violent playing, to playing soccer or whatever, then the networks in your brain develop in such a way that you get better in compassion, better in violent playing, better in, in playing soccer. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you expose yourself and train yourself, for example, to nagging a lot, mm -hmm. the neural networks develop in such a way that it's easier and easier for you to nag. And then nagging uh, becomes like, like a really easy thing to do. Yes. And so it's positive and negative, and it depends on what you expose yourself to or what other people expose you to. Mm, that's very well explained. Yes. And that's a very important thing about concussion recovery as well. Um, it's very important who we who we surround ourselves with, 
um, because um, it has a major influence on our recoveries. For example, if we are surrounded by people who are constantly reinforcing a culture of stress or a situation of stress, which is very uh, bad for recovery, and on the other hand, it's very uh, good to be surrounded by people who are very aware, for example, about um, taking care of themselves first as being caretakers of us and then having a lot to share with us as well. Um, but that's a very important realization that I learned yes. very late. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but that's what I'm here for, to share all those lessons. A lot of doctors are spreading the message still that um, after two years of brain injury, recovery isn't possible. And there, there are a lot of doctors who are doing this in the, the new way, like they are really helping, but there's still a lot of uh, people that are coming to me who heard the same message recently from their doctors. Do you know where this one is coming from? The two years, what is that? Uh, yeah, when you look into literature and also older literature, then you see that there's always like six months and two years, like okay. a lot of recovery in the first six months and then in the next two years, slower recovery. But what we need to realize that um, because of all kinds of ins insights that we get more and more, we more and more see that we uh, have neuroplasticity until we die, right? Mm -hmm. Until we die, new connections come into place um, in the brain and, and the brain is still changing all the time. What we also know now is because of way more research that even though hypothetically we uh, neuroplasticity is very strong and it, it can work and etc. But we basically did not have many um, programs, rehabilitation programs that used neuroplasticity in the right way or that were used to specifically enhance certain capabilities and 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 uh, also emotions, etc., of, of patients. Mm. So it's not that there is no more chance to adapt, to change, to mm. use neuroplasticity, but the actual evidence-based programs that we have to enhance cognition, to enhance acting, to enhance uh, emotions, and to rehab rehabilitate uh, people yeah. uh, who suffer damage in their brain and damage in their in their capabilities we just don't have enough programs yet we we need to develop a lot yes so i think that also uh caused that we thought uh well it's two years and after that well there is no more hope yeah now we know better yeah. yes okay so listeners this is very important to note okay uh, there's hope for brain injury recovery after two years and i'm living proof of that as well so most of my recovery came after five years so that's uh a lot later <laughs> yes um, oh, sorry. and also yeah. we need to realize that most of the time that we follow up clients follow up patients um is is in research is a shorter period right yes um, you come to your neurologist or other clin clinician after you are pretty much capable of taking care of yourself, you don't come back all the time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So um, it's hard to monitor that, that improvement also for clinicians. Yes. And also, neuroplasticity is not a quick fix. I also try to explain that yeah. to people a lot. It's not that, oh, neuroplasticity is there and I, I trained for one month and everything is okay. 
that's not how it works. It's, it's basically a change in living almost. Yes, right? I completely yeah. agree. That's also the basis of uh, the Cure My Concussion course. So in which I convey all of the, my lessons, everything that I needed to learn in order to make my full recovery. And the method is based on active recovery, but it's grounded in lifestyle changes because yes. all of the you can, for example, for one day you can do something right, but the next day it will still be hard to do it right if if you're feeling worse because you trained your brain, for example, on day day one. Yeah, it's important to to realize also that um, recovery can have different mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. You have compensation, for example, that maybe your old skill is not coming back to the same level as no. before, but you develop other skills that make uh, your living uh, very worthwhile. Yes. Um, because So it, it's also important to note that being going back to being the same person, of course, is, is for many people not possible. Mm -hmm. um, but developing in a certain way, whether it's in skills or whether it's in emotions or whether it's in uh, priorities or whether it is in finding what's important for you in life, um, that's also very important. So I also need to stress that this is not only about getting the same level of skills back, mm -hmm. right? It's not only about repairing what was broken, to say it in a way. It's also about compensations, finding new ways. And it's also about, um, and I, I think it's very important in our culture, we always talk about health in a way like everybody needs to be thinking fast, memorizing fast, yes. optimum, etc. And that is not what what uh, health and quality of life only is about. Mm -hmm. It is also about your emotions. It is also about what's important in life. It is also about adding to other people's life, for example. So neuroplasticity is is uh, more than only enhancing skills. Do I make myself clear? Yes, very much. And and this yeah. is so well spoken. And it feels like you understand the journey because uh, I can only speak for myself, but I know a lot of other people's stories as well, that it has been broke, breaking down there. And especially for me, it has been breaking down my identity while, uh, while I was yes. recovering. And I, in the end, I'm very grateful for that because in its place came so something so much more meaningful to me. And it, it it's so meaningful to do these kind of things, which I had never imagined when I was back yes. in university that I would be doing. But now this is my life. And uh, yes, that is um, uh, replacing the other things that were before. And I think the moment, or it wasn't the moment, so the mindset of being open to whatever may come to be, instead of trying to get back to who I was, uh, was yes. the moment that I truly, truly uh, made the most pro progress. Yes, well, that's very good to, to hear because I think that's very important, not only um, uh, to people with, with concussions, for example, but also to society in large. Yeah. Because we're living in an age where we are talking a lot about um, uh, inclu inclusivity. Yes. Like, um, we talk about all kind of ways to be inclusive. 
but basically we still also live in a society where most of the time we have like a norm about what is normal, what is good, what is bad. And I have the feeling that people with brain damage have to fight that all the time yeah. because we started to believe in that only when you can do math in a certain way or read in a certain way or talk in a certain way or walk in a certain way, that that is a full life. Yes. And and uh, that is a battle that that uh, that you all should not have to fight anymore. But I see that battle every day. So I think what you are doing is so meaningful because it also helps to change society. I have goosebumps right now because it's so <laughs> it means so much to me that you recognize the invisibility of it all. Yeah. That, that's a really big part that I'm, I'm trying on the one hand, I'm trying to help people one on one, then I'm trying to change the medical field. And I'm also trying to give people recognition that they are not alone in what they feel and that it is okay how they feel. And yeah. um, it's it's such a struggle uh, that yeah. that every brain injury is invisible. Yeah, indeed it is. And, and well, um, patients tell that, of course, right? Some, they look very good and people say, well, look, you're doing well, you're walking well, you're talking well, yeah. but there's so many other aspects that you have to fight basically, and that you have to find out, figure, figure out for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, I think when you can, uh, bring up the energy to do that, that path will really, really um enhance your life so not mm -hmm. only your skills and you need other people with that it's very good that you that you like build the community and make us all aware mm -hmm. of the things that that you uh that crossed your path basically thank you can you can you maybe share a bit of the you already shared a bit about the use of neuroplasticity for people with brain injury but maybe uh -huh. you could have you could uh, name an example so that it comes to life a little bit more for people Yes. Um, well, when you talk about neuroplasticity, there's basically different ways of neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And what is important for, uh, I think, for your listeners is what we call experience-based neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And experience-based neuroplasticity means that your brain will develop in relation to what you expose yourself to. So specifically you. Like, um, if you already gave a good example, uh, that if you are surrounded with people that are responsive to you, are kind to you, um, uh, provide you with certain information, then your brain develops in a certain way that will help your life, of course, and help your own development. But it's so it's such a strong principle that let me share a story uh, that you must have read about, I guess, in uh, The Mutable Brain. Mm -hmm. It's about Sujit Kumar. Mm -hmm. And I met him uh, several times. He lives on uh, uh, Suva in Fiji. And uh, Sujit, uh, his mother um, uh, died, his father died, and he was raised because of all kinds of circumstances in a chicken coop for the first years of his life. Mm -hmm. So for years, he was in the chicken coop and he was basically raised by chickens. He ha hardly had any human interaction. And uh, of course, Sujit has human genes, right? We yeah. all uh, can be clear about that. <laughs> but his environment was a chicken environment. So Sujit learned to hop on one leg. Su Sujit actually packed to his food. Sujit made chicken sounds when he was found by his uh, guardian, Elizabeth Clayton. 
And um, so Sujit uh, developed, even though he had human genes, he developed chicken behavior. When he was found uh, by Elizabeth, um, she exposed him with so much kindness and so much love to um, to a really, really good environment with people that were sweet to him, people that took care of him. He was surrounded by, by language, by music, by motor skill training, etc., etc. Et and even though Sujit still is far from normal development, because there is also limits about what, can, what you can change, mm -hmm. uh, Sujit now is happy. Sujit now is capable of social interaction. He can kick a ball, he plays in the water, etc. He can eat, um, he likes to eat with his hands, but he can also eat with like a spoon or a fork. And so that is a huge change because Sujit was found when he already was an adult. Mm -hmm. And because of neuroplasticity, he was capable um, because he was exposed to a very nurturing, rich environment, he was capable to change to more human-like behavior. That's a beautiful example. And yeah. it, it shows that even from such a very, you would almost say alien way of raising a child, um, uh, he could make these changes and adapt to our Indeed. lives. Yeah. And that, Indeed. And that's also what is possible after brain injury, right? So if we expose ourselves to the things that we want to learn or relearn, um, then we can build these muscles in our brains, um, so to say, in order to be able to do that in the future. But it takes consistent and conscious practice. That's Indeed. my experience. And also you will experience a lot of frustration, of course, yes. because um, in your mind, most uh, people do have like a level to which they want to develop to, yeah. or they have an idea, I want this or I want that. And maybe that is not always completely possible and you have to adapt to that. Yeah. But that's also what life is about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If we look at, at the period we are living in, like uh, with COVID, we all have to adapt constantly yes. and most of us are able to do that mm -hmm. and that's also because of well because of your brain is an open system it's not a closed system it's an open system continuously in interaction with the people around you and with the environment around you and yes. that is how you will develop mm. i think uh, you have shared so much wisdom in this what is it 28 minutes <laughs> And um, I, I really want to thank you for everything you've shared. I really hope that it has helped a lot of our listeners and anyone who feels helped by this, um, do not hesitate to share a message with uh, Professor Seeds Corner me uh, by leaving a comment so that we also know that you have heard us and um, it makes us happy and it motivates us, as Professor Seeds Corner also said, uh, to hear about your stories and how it helps you. I want to thank you, Professor Sitzkorn, for your time. You're and, welcome. And I really enjoyed talking with you. Me too. And thank you again for all your efforts. It's inspiring. Uh, thank you so much. Now I would love to hear from you. What do you take away from this episode? Is there something that you can apply to your life right away? Head on over to lifejana.com and leave your comment now. And if you want to hear and read more concussion stories, actionable steps and inspiration, 
Be sure to subscribe to the Lifeyana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash concussion stories. Thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by Lifeyana. May you be well and may you be happy.